0: He left the splendor of heaven, knowing his destiny was the Lord. He's dry There's no stars in the sky And the sparrow can't fly If that isn't love Then heaven's a myth There's no feeling like this Even in death, he remembered the thief hanging by his side. He spoke with love and compassion, then he took him. sky and the sparrow can fly. If that isn't love, then heaven's a myth. There's no feeling like this. If
1: Let's take our Bibles today. Turn over to the book of Luke, chapter 2. Luke, chapter 2, today. I got wind uh, that, uh, I guess, the last couple of services, folks uh, were putting a collection together to buy me a big clock. I haven't been using the big clock the last couple of services, and uh, we've been preaching a little over. And so they thought they would put a collection together and get me a big clock so we could get out of here a little earlier, but sorry, there's no big clock today, so hold on to your seats, amen, (laughs) and we'll see what we can do anyway. But I think the idea of a big clock is a good idea. Yeah, I I like the idea of a clock like that. These are just hard to see, you know, I'm still trying to figure it all out, you know. So if I mess up, and it looks like it's only 1026 right now to me, so we should be in good shape. Really, 1126? Okay, so anyway, Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. I'm not one of those guys that goes, Well, bless God, they ought to love preaching enough. Don't want to stay late. I'm not that guy, okay? So I just want you to know that, okay? Uh, I hear it sometimes, especially Bible college students, you know, Well, they ought to be more spiritual. Okay, whatever. Okay, Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Here we go. And it came to pass in those days that. There went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth, unto Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. He went up to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. There was no room for them in the end. In the inn, excuse me. You know, they travelled from Nazareth to Bethlehem, which is southeast of Jerusalem. By about six miles. The journey would have probably been around 80 miles round trip. And again, as the crow flies, it'd be 70 miles. But, you know, it's not always a straight shot. So it's likely that it was somewhere around 80 miles. In those days, of course, they traveled often in caravans. Why would they do that? Well, because it was safer. Again, you weren't alone on the highways, and, so to speak. And as a result of that, you weren't so susceptible to thieves and others that would come along. These caravans would travel usually about 20 miles a day, maybe give or take a few, but you would think that if Mary and Joseph were traveling in a caravan, it would have taken them probably four days at least to get or to arrive in Bethlehem. Now, tradition, of course, has her riding on a, a, a donkey, if you will, and uh, Joseph walking beside her. And um, under those circumstances, we have to believe that it might have been maybe a little bit more arduous trip, maybe a little bit more difficult even at that, especially slower, which would have meant it took longer even. And, of course, you don't want her, you know, the the donkey bouncing up and down. I mean, she's, you know, really ready for a, a child to be born. You don't want her to go into labor while you're on the highway. And so they probably took it a little bit slower along the way, and so it could have taken even more than four days to arrive at their destination. But... Finally, they reach Bethlehem. And, of course, the Bible tells us that while they were there, Mary delivers Jesus. The Bible goes on to tell us that she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. You know, a manger is basically just a trough. It's a trough or a box in which fodder is laid for cattle or a place in which horses and cattle are fed from. And that's where the master, the the God of all creation, was laid He wasn't born into a palace. He was laid in a trough. The reason he was in a stable, the reason we find him resting in a trough is because, as the Bible puts it, there was no room for them in the inn. There were plenty of other guests that night, just no room for Jesus. I mean, there had to be others. I mean, he had no room for Jesus. It, I guess we would think in our minds, why in the world would the innkeeper tell them to go to the stable? Why would he have them a baby be born in a trough? Why wouldn't he have somehow put them where he was, made room somehow, some way? Well, uh, you and I do the same thing with Jesus. We're guilty of filling our lives with everyone and everything else leaving no room for Jesus. I mean, I'm not convinced that the innkeeper thought, good, (laughs) I'm so happy you get to stay out in the cold. I'm so glad you get to stay in the stable. I'm so glad you get to deliver a child in Anything other than the inn, I don't know, maybe he did think that. Maybe he thought, boy, it'd sure be a lot of noise and a lot of racket, and my other guests would be really upset, so I'm going to let you stay beside us. Then Normally in those cases in the East and even in Europe especially, if you go to see a house in Europe, many times the stable was connected to the house. It just simply just took a door right on in. So I don't know how close it was. I don't know exactly what this, how this set up, but we do know that he was born, it appears, In a stable. Now, someone said, well, you can't guarantee that. You're right. I don't know that 100% for sure. Could it have been outside? I don't know. But there was no room in the inn, and he was placed in a manger. We know that. See, I'm not convinced necessarily that that innkeeper didn't want Jesus there. But there was just no room. It was. Quite a few years ago, when I was a teenager, and it's been a few, I was living at home, of course, and I had stayed up very late watching some TV, and I'd gotten really hungry, and you know how teenagers are, they'll eat about every hour on the hour if given opportunity, and I remember that night I went into the kitchen and made myself a couple of those peanut butter and jelly sandwiches that I make. Now, my wife, she's always willing to make me food. She'll say, Mark, I'll make you a sandwich if you like. What would you like? Uh, peanut butter, you know, and if, if it might be, if it, for some reason I'll say, well, peanut butter and jelly sounds good. Well, I can make that for you. I'll be like, that's all right. No, I'll make it for you. That's fine. I can, no, that's okay. I'll, I'll make it. See, listen, I have a famous peanut butter and jelly sandwich I make. And and the reason it's so famous is because it is like loaded. I mean, I like to take the peanut butter. I mean, if you get a brand new jar of peanut butter, my friend, and you get one of my sandwiches, there is a major dent in that jar. Now, I don't eat a lot of peanut butter and jelly, but when I eat it, I like to eat it. And I take that and then just load it on. I mean, the other day I had one of those famous ones. I just made a half, and literally the peanut butter was at least a good quarter inch or more thick. Now, I like a sandwich that's full, and so I filled it up, and I I take that jelly, and I just keep pouring that jelly on, and when you fold that up, or if you put that top on, let me tell you what, you got to be careful where you eat that peanut butter and jelly sandwich, because it could be everywhere else but your mouth. I remember making two of those kind of jelly, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and man, I tell you what, I like a good cold glass of, I mean, ice cold milk with peanut butter and jelly. Now, I mean, it's got to be... I mean, if it's ice cold, it is. there's nothing better. And boy, I tell you what, eat that sandwich and drink that ice cold milk. I had two huge peanut butter and jelly sandwiches that night, and I had two big glasses of ice cold milk. My brother, he worked at Vaquero's, which is now they often call it Lembo's, but uh, it it was called Vaquero's at one time. It was a little bit further down the street than it is now, and and he worked there. And boy, I tell you what, they made a good pizza, but my brother, he made the best pizza. When he worked there at night, sometimes he'd make his own pizza, and what he would do is he'd fill it up, you know, and he'd put, uh, you know, pepperoni and sausage and triple cheese on it. And, I mean, he'd cook it to perfection, and they'd bring that home. And he, that night, just that night, for some reason, he happened to bring one of those pizzas home. And I remember him walking through the door, and he, he threw it on the table. And I mean to tell you, he opened that top up, and that steam came rolling out, and my nose got tickled by those smells. And I thought, wow, do I want a piece of that pizza? He said, do you want a piece of pizza? And I went, oh, yeah, I do, but I'm just all filled up. I just had two huge peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and two tall glasses of ice cold milk. I don't have any more room. Boy, it wasn't that I didn't want a piece of that pizza. Boy, did I ever want a piece of that pizza. I just didn't have any more room. You and I need to be very careful in our lives not to fill up on everything else and everyone else in the world and leave no room for Jesus. And I want to share three areas, just three, that we need to make room for Jesus in our lives. Three areas that we need to make room. So let's have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you. We thank you, Lord, for this time together. And again, Lord, I don't know, sometimes maybe the innkeeper gets a bad rap, but or the truth is is that Father, he just didn't have any more room. he's all filled up, and to him, Father, there was no difference. It was just another couple, a long a journey of life, and Lord, it was a city that was just packed and filled with people because of the taxing that was going to take place and Father, he didn't know what to do, but he did the best he could, I guess, but if only there'd have been a room empty, if only there'd have been room in the inn. But, Father, we thank you, Lord, that Jesus was willing to come and leave a palace and be born in a trough. Father, we're grateful that he came and surrendered his riches so that we could be rich. Help us this morning as we just take a few moments and consider areas that we need to make room for Jesus in. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Number one, we need to make room in our heart for him. You need to make room in your heart for him. Well, in the book of Revelation, turn there, would you please? Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. The Bible is a pretty simple book, really, to understand overall. There are things that are complicated. There are things that are somewhat uh, difficult to wrap our mind around, but the majority of it is pretty simple. I mean, Jesus basically uh, says what he means and means what he says, and in this passage, I think it's pretty clear as we read in Revelation 3.20, exactly what he's saying. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him, and he with me. Now the revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what we have here is Jesus Christ making a statement. We understand that he's speaking to the churches there, the seven churches of Revelation, we often call them, chapters 2 and 3. Here in this particular case, he's speaking to the church uh, at Laodicea, and he says to the church, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him, and he with me. There's no doubt that the church of Laodicea had shut their doors to Jesus Christ. And the fact is today is that in our dispensation, in our age, we are representative of the Laodicean church period. And the truth is, there are a number of churches today Honestly, a number of churches that have shut their doors on Jesus. Oh, they're having services, but there's no Jesus in the midst. And Jesus is saying to the church here in chapter 3, he's saying, listen, behold, I stand at the door and knock. But then he goes on to say, now listen, the church may have shut their doors to me. However, if any man hear my voice, he gets down to the individual level now, and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. We understand that the the doctrinal application has to do with the church as a whole, corporately. But may I say that inspirationally and, and, and me, by means of inspiration, we can recognize and see that he's talking to you and I today. He's speaking to you as an individual and me as an individual. And Jesus Christ, the one who left heaven, the one who left the palace and was, was ultimately laid in a trough, he says to you and I, behold, I stand at the door of your heart today and I am knocking and I'm seeking admission. If you'll hear my voice and open the door, I will come into you and I'll sup with you. And you can sup with me. Well, I'm going to tell you something. You need to make sure you leave some room in your heart for Jesus. He wants to dwell in you. He wants to live in you. He is seeking and, and he is knocking, looking for admission into your life and into your heart. And you know what? The Bible teaches us that he doesn't just want to visit for a minute. He wants to literally live there. The disciples were troubled Their hearts were broken As they heard the words of Jesus As he had spoken to them about the fact That he would go to Calvary That he would ultimately die That he would not uh, ultimately be with them And boy their hearts were heavy We're glad that Jesus Christ addresses that issue In chapter 14 of John Look if you would in chapter 14 verse 16 We know that he says that in my father's house Are many mansions If it were not so I would have told you He tells them that he goes there to prepare a place for them We understand that he said that, that ultimately I prepare that place for you, and if I leave, listen, don't, don't you worry. I'll come again that I may receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. But I want you to see what he says in John chapter 14, verse 16 through 18. Not only do we have in chapter 14 that this, this wonderful, uh, uh, this wonderful um, uh, promise that Jesus Christ will come and return for us, but we also have this wonderful promise that he will, has a desire and a willingness and will be in us. Look at what he says in chapter 14, verse 16. He says, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, and neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. The fact is that Jesus Christ loves and longs to be invited into the heart and life of every single person that he created. And may I say he created every single person. He is the creator of the universe, and He is the creator of all mankind. And today, Jesus Christ is seeking admission in your heart and in your life. May I say He is knocking today. If you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, my friend, I want you to know that He has a smile on His face, and He longs to be in your heart and in your life and living in you today. Amen. In John chapter 1, verse 11, though we are introduced to a very cold and real reality. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. In this particular passage, again, he's addressing and dealing with the fact that he came unto his own people, the Jewish people, but yet they, although they had been given prophecy one after the other that he would ultimately come and reside and take his place on earth alongside the men and women that he created, the fact is is that when he did arrive, they rejected the master, they rejected the savior, they rejected the messiah they said, "We want nothing to do with you. We have no room for you in our lives. May I say the fact is just because Jesus Christ came to this earth, lived a sinless, perfect life, and although he may have died on an old rugged cross and endured the grief, the suffering, and the turmoil, and the hatred of all mankind, I want you to know that's not enough for you to get to heaven, and that's not enough for him to live inside you. You have to be willing to receive and accept him. Look, if you will, in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Can you imagine with me for just a moment standing before God in the great judgment having rejected Jesus' admittance. Like that innkeeper saying, I have no room for you. Watch in Revelation 20, verse 11. This is not just some figment of a man's imagination. This is not just somebody that wrote a little uh, blurb for you to read or a blog for you to enjoy. This is God's Word, and this will happen as it is described and i saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them and i saw the dead small and great stand before god and the books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works and the sea gave up the dead which were in it and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them and they were judged every man according to their works and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. What a tragic position to be when you're standing before God and you're being judged for your life and the work that you've done through the years and you had chosen and made up your mind not to invite him into your life but instead you had so many things going on, so much going on in your life that you just had no room for Jesus. Can you imagine standing before God and you speak up and say, well, I just didn't have room for you, Lord. I'm sorry, I didn't have room. The Lord will say, you're without excuse. You're without excuse. Lord Kenneth Clark He's internationally known for his television series, Civilization. It was a show that was on a number of years ago. He lived and he died without faith in Jesus Christ. He admitted in his own autobiography that while visiting a beautiful church, he had what he believed to be an overwhelming religious experience. He said, quote, My whole being was irradiated irradiated by a kind of heavenly joy, far more intense than anything I had known before. But the gloom of grace, as he described it, Created a problem. If he allowed himself to be influenced by it in his own mind, he knew he would have to change. He realized that his family might think that he had lost his mind and maybe that intense joy would maybe prove to be an illusion. So here's what he concluded. Quote, I was too deeply embedded in the world to change course, he said. You know what he was saying, basically? Man, it felt as though the world had opened up. It felt as though burdens had been lifted. It felt like God wanted to do some miracle in my life. I mean, I had met, it seemed that he was right on the doorstep. And I just simply said to him, I have no room. I got to believe that after the very moment he closed his eyes in death, he regretted saying, I have no room. May I ask you today, have you any room for Jesus? Well, have you invited him into your life? Have you encouraged him to come into your heart when he got the knocking in that church service after that message was preached? When he was knocking after you had received the gospel by someone standing at your door maybe grandma or grandpa or mom or dad or a brother or sister or an aunt or an uncle had shared the gospel of Jesus Christ that he died, was buried, and rose again the third day and that he is the way, the truth, and the life and that no man cometh unto the Father but by him? Did you say, I have no room? Or did you say come in Lord Jesus I can't do it without you I'm lost and headed to hell My sin will bury me deep I need you to forgive me, save me And take me to heaven I hope you invited him in I hope you made room for Jesus in your heart First of all We need to make room You need to make room in your heart for him But number two You need to make room in your life for him Make room in your life for him Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, please. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Here in Matthew chapter 22, we have the Lord Jesus once again speaking. A very familiar passage, but one that I'm not sure that we really grasp at times. I, I think we could quote it maybe even to some degree. We certainly could remind ourselves of it, but... To really grasp it, to embrace it as I think God intended, I don't know that any of us really do at times. Notice Matthew 22, 37 through 38, Jesus said unto him, Thou thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart,
0: and with all
1: thy soul, and with all thy mind. Can you imagine? Loving the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. That's what he said unto him. This is the first and great commandment. This is the first and great commandment. In his book, Marching Orders, Carl Laney, he tells the story of a famous painting hanging in a Berlin art gallery. The painting is basically uh, painted by a uh, German painter by the name of Adolf Menzel. Menzel lived between 1815 and 1905. The painting is only partially finished, however. Menzel had intended to show Frederick the Great speaking to some of his generals. And so what he did was he began to paint the generals, and he filled in the background, and he left the king until last. He even outlined King Frederick the Great in charcoal. But he died before he ever finished the painting. Sadly enough, many Christians will come to the end of their life without ever having put Christ the King into His proper place in their life. Oh, we'll have all the other pieces in place and we'll spend time with this and that and doing this and doing that, but somehow, some way, we've only outlined His place. We haven't truly placed Him in it. We fill our days with all the characters and the background of life We fail to put Christ center stage in so many cases. We prioritize our lives all wrong, don't we? We put so many others and other things ahead of the Lord Jesus Christ. We make room. We make room for so many things. But do we make room for Him? May I say it's not enough to just make room for Him as your Savior today. I mean, it's a wonderful thing to know you're on your way to heaven and you say, Well, I've I've made room in my heart and Jesus lives in me. That's good, but have you made room for Him as your Lord? Not just the Savior of your soul, but the Lord of your life. Is Christ the center of your canvas today? See, the first and great commandment of Scripture declares that man's greatest need is to prioritize God first, to put Him in first place. Eric Hoffer, in a periodical, once stated a profound truth. He said this. He said, The feeling of being hurried is not usually the result of living a full life and having no time. I want you to listen closely, please. Let me say that again. This particular gentleman in a periodical made the statement, the feeling of being hurried is not usually the result of living a full life and having no time. Instead, he says, it is on the contrary, born of a vague fear that we are wasting our life. When we do not do the one thing we ought to do, we have no time for anything else. We are the busiest people in the world. Hear you know what he said? He said, When we do not do the one thing we ought to do, we have no time for anything else. We are the busiest people in the world. You know, I'm a fearful and I'm afraid and That most of the frustration that believers feel in their lives are exactly what Hoffer says they are. They are unwittingly, the the, the, the fact is that they're unwittingly going through life not fulfilling their purpose, not accomplishing what God intended them to accomplish. That there's in the back of their mind a reality ticking saying, You're not making the difference you ought to make. You're wasting your life. You're going to come to the end of it and have nothing to show for it. And I believe that believers as a whole, as a whole, are not doing the one thing they ought to do, and as a result, they have no time for anything else. Frustration, stress, and anxiety preoccupy the lives of Americans at an alarming rate today, don't they? It seems like people are more stressed than ever. It seems like if you were a psychologist or psychiatrist today, my friend, you are in big business because there are so many needs and people are falling apart today and medicine is being handed out like candy. I'm not opposed to medicine. But unfortunately, I believe that so much of what we call mental problems is a direct result of not fulfilling our God-given purposes. I believe that most Christians today are in the same boat as the world. They are so preoccupied with frustration, stress, and anxiety that they, too, are almost losing their minds. Many live their Christian lives unfulfilled, unsatisfied, and unhappy. How sad is that? And listen, don't explain it away. And don't just say, well, I've had a lot of bad things happen. And, man, life just seems to blindside me constantly and it It just seems like this is one thing after another may i say today that those issues aren't just based on your circumstances they are based on your heart your outlook what a sad commentary for each and every one of us who have been given the most satisfying rewarding vocation of all I mean the vocation of being a co-laborer with the creator of the universe in reaching as many as we possibly can with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're so preoccupied with everyone and everything else that we fail to occupy ourselves with that which is most important. Well that relationship that we possess with Christ is the key to contentment. It's the key to satisfaction. And it's the key to a purpose-filled life today. Make room for Jesus in your life. Do not close the door. Do not tell Him no. Do not say, I have no room for you. I'm too busy providing. I'm too busy enjoying. I'm too busy relaxing. I'm too busy going and doing. No, stop it for a moment and say to Jesus, the door's open wide. You can not only be just Savior of my life, I want you to be Lord of my life. It's been said it is more important to know where you're going than to get there quickly. Do not mistake activity for achievement in your life. Just because you are active does not mean you are achieving anything. Make time in your life for Christ. Spend time in His Word Spend time on your knees. Spend time in his house. Get involved and engaged in the work, fulfilling his purpose and plan for your life. In John chapter 9, verse 4, the Lord Jesus Christ, while on earth, said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. While on earth, the Lord Jesus Christ understood that his days were numbered. My friend, he realized that he only had so much time to accomplish what God had given him to do. And he knew he had no time to waste. My friend, we don't have time to waste either. May God help us to not say, I have no room, Jesus. No room today. I'm just too busy. I've got too much going. My life is headed in a certain direction. I've got my own purpose and plan for my life. No room, Jesus. Jesus. God help us to make room for Jesus in our life. Time stops for no one. Before we know it, we'll be standing before that Jesus that saved our soul and giving an account of our life. Number one, we need to make some room. Make room in your heart for Him. Make room in your life for Him. And finally... Make room in your home for him. Make room in your home for him. Turn, if you would, to Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, please. Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. Need to move quickly here, but Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. In this particular passage, we know that Joshua has successfully led the children of Israel into the promised land. God had used him in a mighty way and now they stand and the people are conversing and ultimately Joshua makes a statement that would ring throughout history. In Joshua twenty four fifteen, he speaks up and says, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house. And before we get all fired up, before we get all excited, and before we start jumping for joy, yes, our house, serve the Lord. I want you to know that Joshua made a decision as for me first. I'm going to tell you, sir, if you're not a leader in your home and you're not spiritually guiding your family, then I want you to know it's impossible for you to lead your family in a spiritual manner. Just because you put food on the table and clothes on someone's back doesn't make you a man of God. It doesn't make you spiritual, and it doesn't mean that you're doing a good bang-up job of leading your family. My friend, I want you to know God wants more for a believer than to just simply put food on the table. You're to be a man of God in your home. And you're going to be like Joshua saying, as for me, I'm going to serve the Lord. Where are you at, sir, on soul winning? And where are you at on Sunday night? And where are you at on Wednesday night? And where are you at every Sunday morning? My God, help us, Lord, to make room for you in our homes. And it starts with a man of God. I'm sick and tired of watching ladies go around one. I don't have a husband. I don't come to Church with me. I don't have a husband that'll read the Bible. I don't have a husband that'll pray over dinner. I've got to lead the family. That's a sin. That's hellish, right out of hell. Yeah. It's time that some men stand up Amen. and say, I'm gonna be a spiritual leader in my home. As for me, quit sending mama to the church house. Amen. Quit sending the children out, soul winning. Get where you belong. Amen. Come on. Amen. As for me in my house. It starts with you, then your home. It's For me and my house, Joshua said, God help us to make some room in our homes. What are you watching on TV? What are you listening to in your radios and your iPods and your, all these different things? What are you looking at on the internet? What are you allowing on Facebook in your home and in the lives of your family, sir? I'm going to tell you, it's important that you make room for God in your home because of all that other trash and the filth of the world is in your home. There is no room for Jesus. what they call old-fashioned preaching it's not modern preaching it's old fashioned you say what's a Christ-centered home look like let me just give you a couple things you ought to be looking for that you ought to be permitting in your life first of all his presence is requested if it's a Christ-centered home then his presence is requested what do you mean by that well what I'm saying is that you are putting yourselves in a place Lord We invite you in our home today. We want you in our home today. We consciously choose to place you here. We are begging you to show up. Look if you want Psalm 24, 3 and 4. I think sometimes we like to believe that we want Jesus in the midst. But if we were perfectly honest with ourselves, we'd have to admit that's an impossibility based on the situation in our homes. Look what I mean by that. Psalm 24. Psalm 24, verse 3 and 4. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul into vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. What's he saying? If you want to be in the presence of God, there's a couple things that got to go down. And the biggest one is you got to be clean. Our homes are filled with the flesh. They're filled with the world, and we wonder why God isn't ruling and reigning. We're not making, well, Lord, come in. Come in to where? How's he supposed to fit into that home when there's so much filth and so much sin and so much world? His presence is requested. And that means this, I'm going to invite you into our home, Lord. By the way, if you invited me into your home, I don't think you'd have a bottle of Jack Daniels sitting on the kitchen table when we sat down to talk. You'd clean it up a little bit. You'd get rid of that. I don't think you'd come to the door knowing I'm coming. You may, if you didn't know I was coming. But if you knew I was coming, you wouldn't be puffing on cigarettes. (laughs) Preacher, (laughs) good. Have you today. (laughs) Could you move over? (laughs) Making round circles and all. You wouldn't do that if you knew I... You would prepare your home for my presence. You wouldn't have a television show on if you knew I was coming where there's a bunch of cussing and there's nudity and there's problems in it and they're showing things that don't belong. You would shut that off, boy. You'd clean that up. You wouldn't have your music blaring and, and you know... <laughs> you wouldn't be doing that stuff if you knew I was coming. You'd clean that stuff up. You're making room for the pastor. You're requesting his presence. May I say today that if we're requesting the presence of Jesus Christ, we're going to have to clean up a few things before he shows up. Number two, I want you to know this. His will is pursued. In a Christ-centered home, his will is pursued in that home. Like Christ was determined to fulfill the will of the Father, we too should be fulfilling the will of the Father and making it a priority in our homes. Luke chapter 22, Jesus said, Father, if, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I mean, Dad, Mom, is it your desire, your, your pursuit to honor God by fulfilling His will and purpose for your home? Number three, His word and ways are practiced. I mean, if it's a Christ-centered home, then His ways and His word is practiced. In Psalm 1830, the Bible says, As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He's a buckler to all those that trust in Him. First of all, there's no better way than God's way. I just want you to know that. Listen, when you choose to make God's way the way of your home, you don't lose, you win. When you choose to put the word of God first in your home to make it a priority, to have those family devotions, to sit around and talk about the Word of God, to shut things off that don't belong. Let me tell you what, you don't lose, you win. Amen. These things are tried, proved, and tested in this book. That's what he says. Trust in the Lord, my friend, with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. Right. Do you know His path for you and His path for your home is the best and the safest of all pathways? It's the only option that makes sense if you're a child of God, if you're a believer today. Hey, listen, if you're lost today, then you can't make room for Jesus in your home until you've made room for Jesus in your heart and in your life. Don't you realize that today? These things don't just happen. See, they're in an order for a reason today. Because it starts in your heart, then it starts in your life. Then it goes to your home. And by the way, ladies, if you've got a husband that's not a spiritual leader and you've got a husband that wants nothing to do with God, then, my friend, you're responsible to to present God or to invite Christ into your home. What about your heart? What about your life? What about you? Have you done that? Because I'm telling you, your children still need Jesus. Don't throw your hands in the air and say, well, I got a wicked husband. He just won't step up and take responsibility for his children and wife and family. Well, too bad. Guess what you get to do then? You get to step up. What about your life? Have you invited him into your heart first and into your life? Because then that's the only way it can go to the home. It has to start there. His word and ways are practiced. Many of us choose to neglect his word and ways for another way, another path. But even if it seems like there's success in this life for a short time, let me tell you, you're going to be sadly disappointed in the end. Because Ecclesiastes 12:13 and 14 says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Let's get down to the bottom line. Let's get where the rubber meets the road, he says. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. This is the whole duty. Yeah, whoa, 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 whoa. That means before you provide for your family, duty of man. What, what what wait a second what's he say fear God and keep his commandments oh, oh that's right before you go get the best education you get you ought to be fearing God and keeping his commandments before you make a 401k and a retirement plan the most important thing in your life let me tell you he said no 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 this is the whole duty first you get started right here fearing God and keeping his commandments that's where it all begins That's where it starts. That's where it begins. That's really where it ends because the rest of it falls into place when we have chosen his word and his ways. For God shall bring every work into judgment and every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. There's a judgment coming, my friend. Let me tell you, our ways may work in this world, in this life. But when we stand before him, only his ways will be accepted. Christ-centered life, a Christ-centered home, what, what, what do we expect to see? His pleasure sought. His pleasure sought. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. You know, in a Christ-centered home, we realize there's not one thing in that home that is not to be used for His pleasure, His glory. We realize there's not one person that God has entrusted into our watch care. Whether they've been an adopted child or whether they were a biological child, the fact is God put them in our care, and our watch care, and we are responsible to ensure that they're fulfilling God's purpose and plan and that they are a pleasure to Him and that we are making that so. Everything is a pleasure. We're seeking to please God in every aspect of our life with everything God has entrusted us. Finally, His Spirit is welcome. His spirit is welcome. You can quench the spirit of God. So can I. You can grieve the spirit of God. So can I. But when our lives are entangled with the affairs of this life, when the corrupt conduct of a sinful past is present still, then we are sure to grieve the Holy Spirit. Oh, God, help us not to do that. Help us to make sure that when Jesus comes knocking at our home, we say, there's room. There's room in the home for you, Jesus. Let's not be like the innkeeper. There's no room in the inn, Jesus. That's sad, isn't it? So have you any room for Jesus today? I mean, do you have room in your heart this morning? Put your Bibles away, we're done. I mean, do you have any room for Jesus? Have you... Any room in your heart for him this morning? Have you trusted and received him as your Savior and Lord? Have you done that? It'd be so sad, wouldn't it, to sit in a service like this and to find ourselves leaving without Jesus, although he's been knocking. Have you made room for him in your life today? I mean, is the Word of God big in your life? Are you taking time to read it, to study it, to prepare it, to memorize it? Are you, are, you in, are you on your knees? Are you in God's house? What are you doing with your life? What place does He play? Have you made room for Him? We're to love God, the Lord thy God, with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy soul, not just a little teeny-weeny piece. What kind of room have you left in your life for Him? And finally... Have you made room for him in your home today? You can come to church every time the doors are open and still have a home where he's not welcome. I'm going to encourage you to be genuine, not just here, but everywhere and at all times, especially in your home, because that's what the children are really observing. Don't make the mistake of filling up on everything and everyone else in the And in turn, leaving no room for Jesus today. Have you any room for Jesus? I trust you do. And I trust you've made room for him in your heart, your life, and your home. And if you lack one of those areas, why don't you settle that today? Why don't you just confess it to God and just say, Lord, this is where I'm failing. This is where you're probably not feeling very welcome. And, Lord, I want you to be welcome. So, Lord. You're telling me that I need to deal with this area. I know what you're telling me. Don't just come, Lord, I want you in my life. Lord, I want you in my heart. No, specifically, you need to let the Lord pinpoint what needs to change in your life today, what needs to change in your home. Confess it, come confessing that you have not allowed him in your life, your home, or even your heart, and say, "Now, Lord, this is what I feel you're going to tell you want me to do specifically to make room for you today. Won't you deal with him? Won't you invite him in today? Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we come to you.